You are listening to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Currently, we are reading Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis. Today, we have Chapter 9. This podcast is, as always, brought to you by me, Miles Tabor, by the public domain, and by Whiskey. Any errors in the text are the fault of one of the aforementioned. We was jogging along one afternoon, not far from a good-sized town at the top of Ohio, right on the lake, when we run across some remainders of a busted circus riding in a stake and chain wagon. They was two fellers, both jugglers, acrobats, and tumblers, and a balloon. The circus had busted without paying them nothing but promises for months and months, and they had took the team and wagon and balloon by attachment, they said. They was carting her from the little burg the show busted in to that good-sized town on the lake. They would sell the team and wagon there and get money enough to put an advertisement in the billboard, which is like a Bible to them showmen that they had a balloon to sell, and was at liberty. One of them was the slimmest, lightest-footed, quickest fellow you ever seen, with a big nose and dark-complected, and his name was Tobias. The other was heavier and blonde-complected. His name was Dobbs, he said, and they was the Blanchett brothers. Dr. Kirby and them got real well acquainted in about three minutes. Now, we drove on ahead and got into the town first. The doctor says that balloon is just wasted on them fellows. They can't go up in her not knowing that trade, but still, they ought to be some way for them to make a little stake out of it before it was sold. Now, the next evening, we run across them fellows in the street, and they was feeling pretty blue. They hadn't been able to sell that team and wagon, which it was eating its meals regular in a livery stable, and they had been doing stunts in the street that day and passing around the hat but not getting enough for to pay expenses. "'Where's the balloon?' asked the doctor, and I seen he was sicking his intellects onto the job of making her pay. "'In the livery stable with the wagon,' they tells him. He says he is going to figure out a way to help them boys. They is like all circus performers, he says. They just knows their own acts and talks about them all the time and studies up ways to make them better, and has got no more idea of business outside of that than a rabbit. We all went to the livery stable and overhauled that balloon. It was an awful job, too, but they wasn't a rip in her, and the parachute was just as good as new. There's no reason why we can't give a show of our own, says Dr. Kirby. With you boys and Danny and me and that balloon, what we want is a lot with a high board fence around it like a baseball grounds and the chance to tap a gas main. He says he'll be willing to take a chance on it, even paying the gas company real money to fill her up. What the doctor didn't know about starting shows wasn't worth knowing. He had even went in for the real drama in his younger days now and then. One of my theatrical productions came very near succeeding, too, he says. It was a play, he says, in which the hero falls in love with a pair of Siamese twins and commits suicide because he can't make a choice between them. We played it as a comedy in the big towns and a tragedy in the little ones, he says. But like a fool, I booked it for two weeks of middle-sized towns, and it broke us. 
The next day he finds a lot that will do just fine. It has been used for a school playgrounds, but the school has been moved and the old building is to be tore down. He hired the place cheap, and he goes and talks the gas company into giving him credit to fill that balloon, which I kept wondering what was the use of filling her, for none of the four of us had ever went up in one. And when I seen the handbills he had printed, I wondered all the more. They read as follows. Kirby's Comedy Company and Open Air Circus Presenting a peerless personnel of artistic attractions, greatest in the galaxy of gaiety, is Hartley L. Kirby, monologist and minstrel, dancer and vaudevillian in his terpsichorean travesties, buoyant burlesques, inimitable imitations, screaming impersonations, refined comedy sketches, and popular song hits of the day. The Blanchett Brothers Daring, dazzling, danger-loving, death-defying demons. Joyous jugglers, acrobatic artists, constrictorial contortionists, exquisite equilibrists in their marvelous, mysterious, unparalleled performists. Omsolopagus, the Patagonian chieftain, the lowest type of human intellect. This formerly ferocious fiend has so far succumbed to the softer wiles of civilization that he is no longer a cannibal, and it is now safe to put him on exhibition. But to prevent accidents, he is heavily manacled, and the public is warned not to come too near. Balloon, balloon, balloon! The management also presents the balloon of Professor Alonzo Ackerman, the famous aeronaut, in which he has made his wonderful ascension and parachute drop many times, reaching remarkable altitudes. Balloon, balloon, balloon! Saturday, 3 p.m., Old Vandegrift School Lot. Admission, 50 cents. Well... For a writer, he certainly laid over Louie, Dr. Kirby did. More cheerful-like, you might say. I seen right off I was to be the Patagonian chieftain. I was getting more and more of an actor right along. First an Injun, then a wild Borneo, and now a Patagonian. But who is this Alonzo Ackerman, I asked him. Celebrated balloonist, says he, and the man that invented parachutes. They eat out of his hand. Where is he? asks I. How should I know? he says. How is he going up then? I asks. The doctor chuckles and says it is a good bill, a better bill than he thought, that it is getting in its work already. He says to me to read it carefully and see if it says Alonzo Ackerman is going up. Well, it don't, but anyone would have thought so the first look. I reckon that Bill was some of a liar herself, not lying outright, but just hinting a lie. There is a lot of mean, stingy old kind of people wouldn't never lie to help a friend, but Dr. Kirby wasn't one of them. But, I says, when that crowd finds out Alonzo ain't going up, they will be pretty mad. Oh, says he, I don't think so. The American public are a good-natured set of chuckleheads, mostly. If they get sore, I'll talk them out of it. If he had any faults at all, 
and mind you, I ain't saying Dr. Kirby had any, the one he had hardest was the belief he could talk any crowd into any notion, or out of it either. And he loved to do it just for the fun of it. He'd rather have the feeling he was doing that than the money any day. He was powerful vain about that gab of his and Dr. Kirby was. The four of us took around about 5,000 bills. The doctor says they is nothing like giving yourself a chance. And Saturday morning, we got the balloon filled up so she showed handsome, tugging away there at her ropes. But we had a darn mean time with that balloon, too. The doctor says if we have good luck, there may be as many as three, four hundred people. But Jerusalem, they was two, three times that many. By the time the show started, I reckon there was nigh a thousand there. The doctor and the Blanchett brothers was tickled. When they quit coming fast, the doctor left the gate and made a little speech, telling all about the wonderful show and the great expense it was to get together and all that. Uh, there was a rope stretched between the crowd and us. Back of that was the Blanchett Brothers' wagon and our wagon and our little tent. I was just inside the tent with chains on. And back of everything else was the balloon. Well, the doctor, he done a lot of songs and things ad as advertised. And then the Blanchett Brothers done some of their acts. They was really fine acts, too. Then come some more of Dr. Kirby's refined comedy as advertised. And next, more Blanchett. Then a lecture about me by the doctor. All in all, it takes up about an hour and a half. Then the doctor makes a mighty nice little talk and wishes them all good afternoon, thanking them for their kind intentions and liberal patronage, one and all. But when will the balloon go up? asks half a dozen at once. The balloon? asks Dr. Kirby, surprised. Balloon! Balloon! yells a kid. And the whole crowd took it up and yelled, Balloon! 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 And they crowded up close to that rope. Now, Dr. Kirby has been getting off the wagon, but he gets back on her and stretches his arms wide and motions of them all to come close. Ladies and gentlemen, he says, please to gather near. Up here, good people, and listen. Listen to what I have to say. Hearken to the utterings of my voice. There has been a misunderstanding here. There has been a misconstruction. There has been, ladies and gentlemen, a woeful lack of comprehension here. It looked to me like they was beginning to understand more than he meant them to. I was wondering how it would all come out, but he never lost his nerve. Listen, he says, very earnest, listen to me. Somehow the idea seems to have gone forth that there would be a balloon ascension here this afternoon. How? I do not know. For what we advertised, ladies and gentlemen, was that the balloon used by Professor Alonzo Ackerman, the illustrious aeronaut, would be upon exhibition. And there she is, ladies and gentlemen, there she is, for every eye to see and gladden with the sight of, right before you, ladies and gentlemen, the balloon of Alonzo Ackerman, the wonderful voyager of the air, exactly as represented. Uh, during their long career, Kirby and company have never deceived the public. 
Others may, but Kirby and company are like Caesar's wife. Kirby and company are above suspicion. It is the province of Kirby's Comedy Company, ladies and gentlemen, to spread the glad tidings of innocent amusement throughout the length and breadth of this fair land of ours. And there she is before you, the balloon as advertised, the gallant ship of the air in which the illustrious Ackerman made so many voyages before he sailed at last into the great beyond. You can see her, ladies and gentlemen. Straining at her cords, anxious to mount into the heavens and be gone. It is an education in itself, ladies and gentlemen, a moral education, and well worth coming miles to see. Think of it. Think of it. The Ackerman balloon. And then think that the illustrious Ackerman himself, he was my personal friend, ladies and gentlemen, and a true friend sticketh closer than a brother. The illustrious Ackerman is dead. The balloon, ladies and gentlemen, is there, but Ackerman is gone to his reward. Look at that balloon, ladies and gentlemen, and tell me if you can, why should the spirit of mortals be proud? For the man that rode her like a master and tamed her like she was a dove lies cold and dead in a western graveyard, ladies and gentlemen, and she is here, a useless and an idle vanity without the mind that made her go. Well, he went on. And he told a funny story about Alonzo, which I don't believe there ever was no Alonzo Ackerman. And a lot of them laughed. And he told a pitiful story. And they got solemn again. And then another funny story. Well, he had them listening. And pretty soon, most of the crowd is feeling in a good humor toward him. And one fella yells out, Go it! You're a whole show yourself! And some joshes him. But they don't seem to be no trouble in the air. When they all look to be in a good humor, he holds up a bill and asks how many has them. Many has. He says that is well. And then he starts to tell in another story. But in the middle of that story, that hold-down crowd is took with a fit of laughing. They has looked at the bill close and seen they is sold and taken it good-natured. And still shouting and laughing, most of them begins to start along off. And I thought all chance of trouble was over with. But it wasn't. For they is always a natural born kicker everywhere. And they was one here too. He was a lean fella. With a sticking out jaw. And one of his eyes was in a kind of black pocket. And he was just naturally laying it off to about a dozen fellas that was in a little knot around him. The doctor sees the main part of the crowd going and climbs down off on the wagon. As he does so, that whole bunch of about a dozen moves in under the rope, and some more that was going out seen it and stopped and come back. Professor, says the man with the patch over his eye to Dr. Kirby, you say this man Ackerman is dead? Uh, yes, says the doctor, eyeing him over. He's dead. How did he die? asked the feller. He died hard, I understand, says the doctor, careless-like. 
fell out of his balloon. Yes. This aeronaut trade is a dangerous trade, I hear, says the fellow with the patch on his eye. They say so, says Dr. Kirby, easy-like. Was you ever an aeronaut yourself? asks the fellow. No, says the doctor. Never been up in a balloon? No. Well, you're going up in one this afternoon. What do you mean? asks Dr. Kirby. We've all come out to see a balloon ascension, and we're going to see it, too. And with that, the whole crowd made a rush at the doctor. Well, I've been in fights before that, and I've been in fights since then. But I've never been in no harder one. The doctor and the two Blanchett brothers and me managed to get backed up again the fence in a row when the rush come. I guess I done my share, and I guess the Blanchett brothers done them, too. But they was too many of them for us, too done many. It wouldn't have ended as quick as it did if Dr. Kirby hadn't gone clean crazy. His back was to the fence, and he cleaned out everything in front of him, and then he gave a wild roar, just like a bull, and rushed that whole gang. Twenty men they was, with his head down. He caught two fellas, one in each hand, and he cracked their heads together. And he caught two more, and done the same. But he oughta never took his back away from that fence. The whole gang closed in on him, and down he went at the bottom of a pile. I was awful busy myself, but I seen that pile moving and churning, and then I made a big mistake myself. I kicked a feller in the stomach, and another feller caught my leg, and down I went. For half a minute, I never knowed nothing, and when I come to, I was all mashed about the face, and two fellers was sitting on me. The crowd was tying Dr. Kirby to that parachute. They straddled legs over the parachute bar and tied his feet below it. He was still fighting, but they was too many for him. They left his arms untied, but they held him, and then... Then they cut her loose. She went up like she was shot from a gun. And as she did, Dr. Kirby took a grip on a fellow's arm that hadn't let loose quick enough and lifted him plumb off in the ground. He slewed around on the trapeze bar with the fellow's weight and slipped head downward. And as he slipped, he gave that feller a swing and let loose of him, and then catched himself by the crook of one knee. The feller turned over twice in the air, and landed in a little crumpled up pile on the ground, and never made a sound. The fellers that had hold to me forgot me, and stood up, and I stood up too, and looked. The balloon was riding fast. Rising, the balloon was rising fast. Dr. Kirby was trying to pull himself up to the trapeze bar, twisting and squirming and having a hard time of it, and shooting higher every second. I reckoned he couldn't fall complete for where his feet was tied, and would likely hold even if his knee come straight, but he would die maybe with his head filling up with blood. But finally, he made a squirm, and raised himself a lot, and grabbed the rope at one side of the bar, and then he reached and got the rope on the other side, and set straddle of her. And just as he done that, the wind catched the balloon good and hard, and she turned out toward Lake Erie. It was too late for him to pull the rope that sets the parachute loose then, and drop onto the land. I rushed out of that schoolhouse yard, and down the street toward the lakefront, and run, stumbling along and looking up. She was getting smaller every minute. 
and with my head in the air looking up, I was running plumb to the edge of the water before I knowed it. She was away out over the lake now, and awful high, and going fast before the wind, and the doctor was only a speck. And as I stared at that speck away up in the sky, I thought this was a mean world to live in. For there was the only real friend I ever had, and no way for me to help him. He had learnt me to read, and bought me good clothes, and made me know there was things in the world worth traveling around to see, and made me feel like I was something more than just old Hank Walters's dog. And I guessed he would be drowned, and I would never see him again now. And all of a sudden, something busted loose inside me, and I sunk down there at the edge of the water, sick at my stomach, and weak, and shivering. You have been listening to the First Person Drunk Podcast. Today's episode was Danny's Own Story by Don Marquis, Chapter 9, brought to you by the public domain, me, Miles Tabor, and delicious whiskey.